It's interviews like today's that make me think we let ourselves down more than we are actual victims of life. And if we could just get it together, we would spend so much of our wasted time on helping other people. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host, as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Samantha Pillay. Samantha is a urological surgeon, public speaker, business owner, and seven-time children's book author. It feels like I should mention that Samantha was born with a debilitating hip dysplasia and then overcame it to become the first female urological surgeon in all of South Australian history. We do go in a couple of directions in this interview, but it really breaks down to overcoming your shortcomings so that we can help others to overcome theirs. Let's get ourselves together. Welcome to the show, Samantha Pillay. Hi, Colton. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience who's listening? So I'm Dr. Samantha Pillay. I am primarily a surgeon uh, and I specialize in urology, urinary tract surgery, and I subspecialize in urinary incontinence surgery. And I am located in Adelaide, South Australia. I have been in uh, practice here for 20 years and I also have other hats that I wear Um, and one of those is I suppose as a businesswoman essentially because I started my own practice 20 years ago and that has grown so I run a medical practice there's now three surgeons and two GPs and then I also like writing in my spare time. So I've just published uh, When I'm an Astronaut, which is my seventh book with its companion activity book, um, which is a children's picture book. And I also uh, do some public speaking uh, relating to gender equality and uh, just general health uh, chronic disease prevention. So they're kind of most of the hats that I wear. That's a lot of hats. Do you ever feel yourself stretched really thin? Always. I think I must love it. Yeah. I mean, it must be natural. Um, And part of, you know, when we were talking, setting up this interview, you were kind of the first to do a lot of things in Australia. Uh, When it comes to the area of surgery, definitely, because I was the first female to train in urology in South Australia in that specialty. So by the time I finished my surgical training, so if you count medical school, that was sort of like 14, 15 years, uh, only 4% of surgeons in Australia were women. And like now, fast track 20 years, it's only increased by 10%. Um, So not only was I the first uh, female doing urology, I exclusively subspecialised, and although there were people doing that female and functional urology. It was uncommon in those days to subspecialize. So I was the first to do that. And many um, things to do with the surgical society because, you know, like chairing the scientific meeting, being on the board of urology, chairing the state committee, I could bore you to death with the, those sorts of titles. Um, I was the first female um, in that area. But well, the hats, I think I wasn't. Yeah. Um, no, but that's incredible. Like, what gave you the drive to get to do all these things? That is probably a little bit deep. Um, I was born with congenital hip dysplasia and I'd failed to walk and there was concerns actually whether I would even walk. And in those days, um, you know, it was missed. Um, again, I mean, nowadays, hopefully it's picked up and corrected early on with sort of splints, but because it wasn't, I had sort of corrective surgery and it was at a time when I think I was the first time maybe even that that operation was being done in Adelaide by a surgeon that had come back from the US and learned how to do it. And, you know, one of the, my hips, it was more successful than the other when it was redone and I started school in a wheelchair and, you know, know, had major mobility issues all my life. And I think that definitely was the seed that 
made me push myself to do everything I could do as a way of escaping all the things I couldn't do, <laughs> um, which maybe uh, now this sort of stage of life I'm able to kind of maybe see, uh, which you know, I wasn't probably aware of at the time. And I had chronic pain. I was in a lot of pain all the time. And that was also another way of escaping the pain because if you're in a lot of pain, you can really focus on something that distracts you from the pain. It's a great painkiller. And then as soon as you stop, you realise how much pain you're in. Um, but it had to be something, you know, it couldn't be like watching TV. It had to be something really significant. Like, And when you're operating on a patient, that, that you really can't think about anything else. So, you know, most surgeons know they don't get hungry, they don't need to pee, they don't get thirsty until they down tools and then it all hits them. Um, so it's a great, it was a great career for someone in a lot of pain. Yeah, you can't get done with your surgery. You're like, I'll be in the bathroom. Someone ordered me lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, and a lot of this came down to like, you know, helping people, right? Like you, you wanted to kind of, you got your mind off of things, but you also have done a lot of work to help people just be better, right? That is exactly right. And I think, again, it's really easy to then focus on someone else's needs and that, again, that probably, you know, it's great purpose and great reward. I don't think there's anything better in life than trying to help other people and give you purpose and keep you focused and stay engaged. But it also helped distract me from, from my own sort of um, issues that I, that I had to kind of overcome. But on the other side, I did overcome so many barriers and I kind of think that, if I can do it, then other people can do it too. And so one of the things that I focus on is self-belief um, and trying to instill in people that self-belief because I have this huge amount of self-belief in people and I want them to have the same belief in themselves. And part of that comes through my work. You know, I see patients do remarkable things. So from the point of view of chronic disease prevention, you know, 80% of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, um, is preventable from the World Health Organization, 40% of cancers. And you, that's a lot of illness. And I see patients with problems. Now, I also see patients do amazing things. And that ordinary people, but often it's triggered by, you know, bad test results, a bad diagnosis, etc. Now, that jolts them into doing something. But this, the, the ingredient to do it which is them, was there all along. So I'm working to try and motivate people to uh, do something to help their own health because it really is a matter of invest now or pay later. It's very hard when it's decades before, you know, the effects of bad habits might materialise, but why wait for them to occur? I Part of the motivation also comes from the fact that I had a problem that I couldn't do anything about. And that made me really motivated to do something about the things that I could. So I had to work really hard with exercise and physiotherapy to be able to hold down a normal job and um, keep my weight under control when I couldn't exercise as I aged and maintain my strength and just stop myself going downhill. And so I was able to do things to prevent the situation from being worse and have had that benefit and realised the long-term investment, but what, how much of a difference that meant. And so I really want to help encourage people to make those lifestyle changes rather than wait until it's too late. Um, so that's sort of one of, that's where that hat comes from. Yeah, and it's something that I feel like a lot of people don't, do like they try and better themselves or get to be you know the best version of themselves and they kind of stop looking out for other people along the way so it's nice to see someone you know like make a conscious effort to reach out and help other people i would thoroughly recommend it because i the more the more i will now I started speaking on chronic disease prevention i'm even healthier you know so the more you surround yourself with where you want to be in life and the people you want to be and the message you want to be, uh, I've become more healthier because I'm talking every day to people about their health. Uh, you know, so when you start to help others, it will help yourself, um, you know, apart from all of the benefits that you can get from helping other people. 
So the, I mean, the other area is this sort of self-belief in women uh, especially and, and sort of those career stereotypes. So it's all, it is all related to becoming the best version of yourself and trying to help empower people to do that. And, you know, that's because I feel that I have, you know, there were two roads that I could have gone down, um, you know, and I could have felt sorry for myself. No one really wants to spend time with someone who's in pain and feel sorry for themselves. Um, and probably if I hadn't looked after my health, you know, just one or two kilos makes would make all the difference to my mobility and pain. I could have been in a position where I didn't even work, you know, and I was on at like a disability support. It's sort of, it's almost like there were two roads and one that extreme to the other going on and finishing surgical training. I won't say it wasn't easy because I had sort of physical challenges, um, but I had to, and I chose an area of surgery that allowed me to do a lot of sitting down surgery and didn't have long procedures. But when I did medicine, everyone said, you know, you know, what are you going to do as long as you don't do surgery because you've got to stand. So that's the one thing you can't do. Now, I had had lots of surgery as a child and spent, you know, almost 18 months in a hospital. So the I was passionate about doing surgery. Now, if I'd taken that easy path, it would have been easier, but I'm the only person that misses out, no one else. So, you know, it was a matter of finding a way to pursue what I wanted to do in life but modify it to what I could achieve. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of like you went through these surgical experiences and you're probably had to think at some point, like, wow, if they weren't doing this for me, would anyone be doing this for me? And yeah, I would be in a wheelchair my whole life. Yeah. And this kind of allows you to, I mean, give that same feeling back to other people as they come through. That's right. And that's, and that's why, I mean, I'm very privileged because surgery, being a surgeon is, you know, an amazing opportunity to help people. No one, you, you never need to explain to someone kind of how you help people. Um, and what's happened is, I suppose, as I've sort of matured, um, I've realised that there's other ways I can help people. So, you know, I'm in Adelaide and most of the patients I see, I do have some people who travel to see me, but most of the patients I see are in South Australia, yet through writing books and through public speaking with that message, suddenly I'm talking to people all around the world and your ability to then help people on a different level, on a different scale is is mind-blowing now, especially with, you know, social media and, you know, the internet and everything like that and virtual presentations. It's really, um, you know, amazing where you sort of go, wow, you know, if I want to help people, uh, uh, why just stick to Adelaide? Um, and you've got that ability to promote that message. And with health, obviously, I'm subspecialised in one particular area of health, but it's the whole patient that's important. It's all linked to each other. It's very hard for people to do one thing for their health when their whole everything else is out of control. And it, I realised that, you know, what I could do for a patient was nothing compared to what they could do for themselves. So looking after that whole patient and motivating people to make that change in their health is something I think thought I really want to be able to make a difference in that space and you know, every person I do I connect with every person that says to me oh my god you changed my life um oh my god I mean you know it's worth everything I do a thousand times over so even if it's one person at a time that I can motivate to to actually take that step because it all starts with self-belief and a passion. So, you know, we are inundated with messages about health. You know, do this, do that, do this, do that. Now, we're all too busy and no one does it. So we've got to take a step back. Um, it's like me uh, just believing that I could do surgery and being passionate about it. That was the essential ingredient. Then the rest was just sorting out how. But... When you've got that resilience, when you've got that resolve, no matter what the obstacles, no matter how many times you fail, you'll overcome it and you'll find a way. 
So if it's your health, it's the same thing. A lot of people feel overwhelmed. You know, they want to lose weight. They try, they give up. There's multiple diets, whatever. Um, but if you can really have that life-changing moment where nothing else becomes more important than that, you will find a way. And that's the bit that's missing. Um, and that's what I'm trying to help people find, that they, they do have all the skills that's uh, there, ordinary people, and most people know someone who's done something extraordinary. Um, don't wait until it's, you know, the fact that you've had a heart attack or been diagnosed with diabetes or got cancer to make the change. Uh, invest now rather than pay later. It's every little bit you do every day. So it's very much um, what I try and teach people is to build their health armour one piece at a time. Start with something small for your health and try and do that every day. And then add something and add something. And the more you add it and the more you live in that space and the more you talk about it, the more motivated you are, everything else starts to get easier and easier and easier. Yeah. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we're so inundated with all of these messages that say like, oh, you know, you need to work out every day. And there's another one that says you need to eat right every day. And there's another one that says you need to get outside every day. And there's another one that says sleep right every day. And I think people just start to feel overwhelmed at some point. They're just like, these are 30 things that I have to do. And if I can't do them all, then I'm not going to do any of them. Yeah. And the that's right. They feel overwhelmed. And what's missing is why? Why should I do that? Or, you know, why should I do that? Um, so if you take uh, weight, which is one of the biggest ones, you know, it's too hard. Um, why should I do that? And it, if you look at, you know, the link to diabetes, hypertension, stroke, with your diet, cholesterol, um, then and start to look at the statistics, three quarters of the American population don't you know, get enough exercise, uh, overweight or obese, uh, a third have prediabetes, a third have hypertension. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that in the latter part of your life, you have to say to yourself, you know, how you look after yourself in the first 50 years is going to determine the second 50 years. Uh, do you want to be able to travel? Do you want to be able to go out? Do you want to be able to dress yourself? Do you want to be able to feed yourself? Do you want to be able to live independently? Do you want to live in a nursing home? And how much money are you going to have if, if money is what drives you? Because all the medical um, expenses, you know, if you prevent your, yourself from having those medical expenses and needing those medications, what's that return on that investment now? If you think of dollars that you save now and could invest versus trying to spend it at the time of your life when you least have the money. Now, the the, when I was researching this, like I've always had to fight to keep a normal BMI because I was, you know, I couldn't go for a run. Um, and I, you know, had a real shock when I was looking at the waist. Your waist measurement is more important than your BMI. It's really about where you carry that weight around, you know, your pancreas and all your vital organs. And if you're, if you're a woman and your waist measurement's over 31.5 inches, you're you have an increased risk of heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. I think for men it's 37 inches. So it's not a lot, right? Now, compare and despair, you know, the it was I could have said, well, you know, I'm a woman in my 50s, I've had kids, you know, 90% of women have got more weight than I have. Well, that, that that's not gonna help. That's not gonna help I have a heart attack. That's not gonna change the stats. Um, that's just, you know, trying to make myself feel, feel better by comparing myself, but it won't make any difference to your test results. So having that sort of understanding of why, and I think COVID's helped reset our health, you know, being able to go nothing, nothing else is more important than my health. You know, being a surgeon isn't more important. Um, you know, living in a nice house isn't more important. Going on a holiday isn't more important. You know, nothing is really more important than your health. And the, it's the little things. It's, you know, is it day one or one day? Yeah. It, you, it's the little things you do every single day that either put you on one trajectory 
for your health or the other health trajectory. Just like when I was a teenager and I kind of thought to myself, I have to, there's no point feeling sorry for myself if it's going to cost me more money. You know, I'm going to be spending most of my income on trying to, you know, physio and all this sort of stuff and all my time when other people are going out and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've got a choice to either do this and try and have the greatest level of function or live another life. And so that's the important point about really prioritising your health. So that's the why that people need to find, the why, the why and the why now. So every single unhealthy choice you make today, whether it's what you have for breakfast, lunch or dinner, whether or not you go for that walk, takes you one step closer to that now it's too late moment and can't be undone. That day has gone. But it's the incremental little things, the little things that you need to do, whether it's putting on some sunscreen or brushing your teeth or having a healthier meal, they're not huge things. It's not like you're going out and running a marathon. They're tiny little steps that anyone can take. It's just the over and over and over again. So I talk to people about trying to build their health armour one piece at a time and starting with the low-hanging fruit. You start with brushing your teeth because everyone brushes their teeth. But, you know, when you go into the bathroom, floss, spend two minutes brushing your teeth. Think about the fact that you're doing something great for your teeth and your health. Think about what else you could do today. And at the end of the day, when you brush your teeth, think about what you did that was good for your health and get this sort of habit of thinking about what you're doing that's helping you. When you think about the things that you do that are good for your health, it makes it harder to do something that's bad for your health because you know, dental caries is a very preventable condition. And yet you speak to anyone who's old, ask them about their teeth, and they're going to give you lots of stories at a time when, you know, they probably don't have the money to spend on all those dental bills. Think about sunscreen, you know, 90% of of, um, ageing is due to sun damage, and 50% of Americans will have skin cancer by the time they're 70. It's a very simple thing to do. And, and start to pay attention. Little things like that that are easy, as you start to build it up, then you can tackle some of the harder problems. But it's you're, because you're doing all these little things every day, you might stop when you're going to have some terribly unhealthy binge. <laughs> does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's it's really like I hadn't heard the thing about your waist measurement. That was actually very surprising. But I liked how you said that when saying like, oh, well, I'm I'm thinner than 90% of these other people, like doesn't actually help your health to say that. Like if you're not healthy, just because you're less unhealthy than some other people, like that doesn't make you more healthy. It just makes it not as bad, but it's still. Yeah, bad. but you know, when you go to the doctor and you have a test, it's not going to get, you're not going to get, they're not going to give you the results and you've got to go, but, but all these other people that are worse than me, oh, sorry, let me just change the results. <laughs> right. No, I've taken that. Life's not like that. It's not kind. Um, it's not fair. Uh, you know, it doesn't have um, those sorts of, you know, there's no negotiating yourself out of problems with your health, unfortunately. Yeah. And on the plus side, you know, when you're saying, hey, you're brushing your teeth. Like my mother is a dental hygienist and she was on the show and talked about how many people don't take care of your teeth and how much, you know, damage to your health that can do. But thinking about like, Oh, this is good for my health. Like that's such a small thought, but it's so easy because like I stopped eating fast food. And now when I go and I look at fast food, I'm like, yeah, but I haven't eaten that in like two months. I don't want to, I don't want to break my streak of going, you know, three months without it. Like I'd rather hit three months without fast food than have it today. And, you know, have a a minor easy thing in my life. Yeah. And I think once you understand the impact of what these things do, and then you have those thoughts, it becomes easier and easier to have more of those thoughts, whether it's about your teeth or fast food, and then something else becomes easier, you know, because you suddenly start being motivated and prioritised and thinking and focused on your health, and then the rest of it sort of follows. And and salt is a big thing. So, you know, 90% of Americans have too much salt. There's more salt in takeout meals than you know, home-cooked meals. It's not what you add at the table. It's all the restaurant meals, the processed foods, the fast foods. 
And the CDC on their website had something about more salt being in restaurant meal than fast food. You're only meant to have a teaspoon a day. And yet, you know, third Americans now have hypertension. Heart disease is the number one killer. So, you know, a lot of people are thinking about sugar, but they're not thinking about salt. And so focusing on that, once you start to think about that and start looking at the labels, you know, the average American eats out or takes out five times a week. Um, there's all these hidden, it's not just the hidden calories and the hidden saturated fats and the hidden sugars, it's the hidden salt as well. So by having these sorts of thoughts and understanding, so understanding the, the facts is really important. And, you know, there's plenty of great websites like the CDC that you can go to to look things up. And the more you start to educate yourself, the more you'll have these right sorts of thoughts and the more you'll be in that healthy space. So, you know, the sort of Uber Eats generation is one of the things that's really added to this, you know, and I know people who would say, oh, I can't cook. I mean, you know, you're going to eat three times a day probably for the rest of your life. Not being able to cook is a real, you know, um, impairment in life. So apart from the financial aspects of just eating out all the time on your health. And so that's that was actually the trigger that of this whole sort of journey. So what happened was I could see, um, I, I actually had to modify my cooking. And that was, it started because I was a single mom, time poor, stressed out, wearing too many hats. And the biggest problem was what's for dinner. And so I worked out that if I shopped once every two weeks, because I really had trouble shopping and um, standing to cook, you know, even walking up the supermarket aisles, I only had so many steps. So if I shopped, I couldn't unpack. And if I unpacked, I couldn't cook. And if I cooked, I couldn't clean up. So I had to kind of work out this way where I could have a, I cooked without a recipe because it was faster and quicker and I could just heat up the pan. And while the pan was heating, chop ingredient one. And while that was cooking, chop ingredient two, minimize the washing up, minimize the time. I was time poor. And so I developed this way of eating. Now, what happened was, I lost weight because I wasn't eating out. I had a huge uh, reduction in um, food spending, like more than half our grocery bill. The kitchen bin was like, instead of being emptied twice a week, was quarter full at the end of a week because there's less food waste. I saved loads of money um, and reduced the stress in my life. And so I wrote the No Recipe Cookbook, So, which is just an example of how I think because there's cookbooks out there and cooking shows for people who like to cook, obviously. So what did I do? I said, I want to write a cookbook for people who don't cook. <laughs> now, obviously I hadn't done a marketing degree because, you know, everyone would say that seems like a really dumb idea. You want to write a cookbook for people who don't cook. Um, but it's the idea that you have this basic repertoire of go-to meals and you then can vary the ingredients to your taste it's not a super healthy book. So, you know, there's some salt, there's butter, there's things like that, but it's still way better than eating out all the time. Once you kind of get that habit, you can then, if you start becoming super healthy, you'll start going, well, I'm going to put this in because it's healthier. I'm going to put this in or put less oil in. So it's just being in control and knowing what's in your food. Um, so that's the important thing. So I actually have four of the meals from that book for free download on my website as well. Um, and that's what started me on this journey um, of realising that I could help people's health beyond the patients that I saw one-on-one. -on -one. I could have a bigger impact. And then I started reading, talking more about health. I started um, reading more about health, um, you know, and finding out that my waist uh, was too big, even though I had normal BMI and all of these things. And that just kept motivating me more and more to look after my health. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're kind of giving people like the gateway into the better life because you're saying like, oh, well, if you exercise 10 minutes a day, suddenly you're not going to feel so bad about doing 15. And if you're used to cooking a very simple meal, you're not going to be so stressed out when you add a second or third or fourth or fifth ingredient like, oh, it's only one more thing that I'm used to cooking. So, you know, whereas like the normal person sits down and says like, oh, I have to do this hour long exercise class. Well, that's too long. I don't have an hour and I'm not fit enough for that. Or, 
this recipe has 17 steps and I have no idea how to even start on step two. Like what, what is folding in cooking? So people just, you know, you need something easy to get you kind of kickstarted into, you know, just doing better. That's right. As I say, getting started is the hardest thing. And it, it, and also thinking it's all too hard, uh, thinking it's all too hard um, and that it's going to take a long time and effort and when in actual fact it's quick and easy, whatever, you know, whatever I'm talking, you know, getting started isn't hard, it's quick and easy, but, you know, whether you think about something every day when you brush your teeth or whether you cook a basic meal um, and self-belief. They're the ingredients, they're the essential ingredients. So, Self-belief, I think, is the big one. You know, I believe in people. I want them to believe in themselves as much as I do. I know that they can do it because if I can do it, so can they. You don't need to be, you don't need to sort of look at, I don't know, some sort of um, Olympic athlete and sort of think, you know, well, I can't be that. It's That's not what it's about. You know, it's not about um, uh anything special because it's all the little steps are small steps that anyone can take. Um, And I think part of the motivation came from the fact that, you know, as a female, I was always a bit scared to dream. You know, I kind of like when I, when I, when I applied to do medicine, I didn't even tell anyone uh, because I was worried that I didn't get in. And um I always almost thought that it was, you know, um, overly confident, you know, to even uh, think about it, but even though that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that is more so for women, you know, that glass ceiling that, that you only go so far, but you don't dream too big because, you know, you've got to be able to fulfil your responsibilities to whether to look after kids or something like that, because how's it going to fit in with family life? And that's, again, something I look back and, you know, sure, I've, if people look at me and think, oh, wow, you've achieved a lot, but I do think from a gender point of view, I wonder if I'd been a man, how much more I might have achieved um, or how much bigger I would have dreamed. So I teach young girls to dream big, aim high, you know, don't be afraid to dream. But it's, it's not purely a gender thing because obviously there's people are different, whatever gender, but if you're, if you're holding back for some reason, you know, and you're really afraid to dream, you know, dream big, aim high, take your dream, double it and double it again. You know, so Colton, this is going to be the, you're going to have the biggest podcast show in the world, you know, <laughs> number one in the world, you know, don't be afraid to dream. Um, and that self-belief is essential. If you don't have that self-belief, it's very hard to get there. If you have that self-belief and you really believe it's possible, then no matter what the setbacks are, you just keep working at it, plugging away over and over again until you find a way. And I am definitely sort of an endurance person. I just keep doing, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I fail, I never give up. Uh, doesn't <laughs> So it, it's really um, important and that's why I then went off on this random tangent as a surgeon writing a children's picture book series. So uh, the first one was when I'm a surgeon so that all of the books have a female protagonist. Second one was uh, when I'm an entrepreneur and the latest one just out now on Amazon is when I'm an astronaut and each with sort of these activity books. So although I do these random things that all seem unrelated, they are very much related to about um, who I am and what I believe in. Yeah. And you're kind of, you know, you're pushing people to find drive in themselves, like just, you know, be a little more driven. And if you fail at doing something, it's not never, it's just not yet. Like you can continue to get better and you can continue to push yourself and eventually you'll reach your goal. Whatever your goal is, you know, you can work hard enough to get there, but you have to take those small steps. And it sounds like, a lot of the things that you do help people find just a little bit more drive, just a little bit more. And every time they do it, it's just a little bit more until they find that they are looking at those big dreams where you're a kid and you're saying like, well, what if I want to be an astronaut? Like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm not good at math, but 
okay, well, I get a little bit better at math. Oh, I need to learn some science. Okay, I get a little bit better at science. And then eventually you're like, oh, I have all the things I need to try and take on this dream. And it's, you know, it's about, you know, every kid dreaming that they could be an astronaut. They might, they don't need to be an astronaut, but they just need to be able to dream that they could be an astronaut. What that does is gives them the ingredient they need to then go, whatever they finally do decide on, uh, believe that they can do it because it could be something that isn't even invented yet. So that self-belief helps people overcome the setbacks. Um, Now, it's not about what if you fail. No, no, no. Setback, like you, you don't, no one gets it right the first time. You cannot get to A to B without failing multiple times along the way. You, you, you must fail. You will fail. You, you know, um, it's, it's not just like smooth sailing. It's never like that. There's always going to be. So I think that's why people are scared. Or what if I do that and it doesn't work? Well, if it doesn't work, you're not a failure, and it doesn't mean that you can't do it. That's an essential step. It's, it, 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 it's, it's an essential ingredient to, to get there. So it, it's, um, to, you shouldn't have that expectation in the first place that, that it's going to be without failure. So, I mean, weight is a really good one. You know, I can struggle for six months to lose a kilo, you know, and I have multiple setbacks. Um, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, I, there's very few people I know that sort of think, oh, I want to lose a kilo. I'll just do ABC and I'll lose a kilo. No, you know, you try it and it doesn't work. You try it and it doesn't work. You lose it and it comes back on. Whatever it is, it's never going to be smooth sailing. Um, it's that determination that that is what I want to do no matter what. And I always tell myself when I'm failing, you know, that just tells me I'm not trying hard enough. Yeah. And I'm going to do more. Yeah, you never really like lose until you give up. I think that's like the big thing is if you keep trying, like you haven't failed, you just haven't succeeded yet. Like yeah. you're, you're in the middle. You only really like lose if you give up on your dream. Correct. Like if I, if I had done what people had said, not done surgery. So the, you, the, the, the failing is part of the path, the journey that you need to succeed. Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of off topic, but it's about, you know, one of the many hats you wear. Did you find that it was easier or harder to write a children's book than it was to write a book for adults? The, uh, it's a completely different thing. So when I wrote the No Recipe Cookbook, it was my first book and I, it's written in prose, no pictures, no recipes. It's the sort of thing that you could novel that you could kind of read in a day to give because it's for time poor people, especially like students or people like that who can't cook. And I wanted to write it in really simple language, um, like some sort of romance novel that you could read at night and go, yeah, now I can just make 10 things on rinse and repeat and whatever. So that was, um, you know, the process of self-publishing and editing and, oh, my God, but from an essential point of view, it wasn't like I had to come up with a plot kind of thing I kind of was writing about what I lived and breathed you know for the last two years that's the only that is the only cookbook I use now um the when it came to a children's book there's not many words so it's again these are books that are meant to engage a child's imagination they're they're books that are meant to be conversation starters so I was a bright kid I've got a son who's a bright kid and a lot of children's books were they just didn't have enough um, so often the children end up trying to read something sort of beyond their, their level of childhood because there's, there's the story just doesn't have enough meat to it. Um, so these books, what's most of what's in the books is not written on the page. So it talks about um, when, say, for example, when I'm an entrepreneur with there's a picture of a girl. It's it's when I'm on each page has a different key characteristical element to that career. So when I'm an entrepreneur, I'll do things differently. So it's that sort of thinking outside the square. And she's sitting on a unicorn, which is often associated with, you know, being unique or different. She is 
wearing a striped T-shirt and the colour of the stripe is the colour of the logo of the pay company Stripe, which is one of the largest unicorn companies uh, in the world, where it, meaning that the founders still own it when it's reached a value of a billion dollars. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're and you're in that space, you will see a lot more meaning in the picture than someone who just sees a girl on a unicorn. Now, it means that there's opportunity to have conversations. It means that there's ability for older kids or smarter kids to dive deeper into many of the images. I then write articles on my website where they can delve into the meanings of the images. Like from one, and in one of them, she's sitting on a newspaper. As she's sitting at, sorry, at a desk reading a newspaper. And you can see she's sitting there with this big newspaper. Now you can go to my website and read all the articles on the newspaper, which I've written, which is way longer than the children's picture book. So going into the actual uh, words, um, it, it might seem like there's not a, a lot there. It answers your question. But with when I'm an astronaut, I studied for six months astronaut training. I went to um, industry conferences. I spoke to people in the space industry around the world and found out about astronaut training to find the key elements to astronaut training. Now, so there is a lot that goes into the children's book, even though it looks like, you know, there's 130 words. It's a picture book. Um, but the, deta the detail, so there's some images that are taken from the International Space Station and the handles for the astronauts to hold on to as they float around inside are blue and on the outside they're yellow and or gold, goldy, golden yellow. So people who are in the space industry would notice that or they'd notice, yet that actually is the Mars rover. Um, I wanted a book that an astronaut would be proud to read their child. So there is a lot more creativity and research uh, for me that goes into the children's books because of the detail I put in the images, because of the backstory where I write about it on the articles with my website. And part of that is because I also want the gender stereotype messaging not just, you know, I'm greedy. I don't want it just to impact on the, 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 the child reading the book. I also want to be able to um, impact on the adults buying the book and engage the adults in children's picture books. And it's also a great way to be able to talk to that topic, even if I'm talking to adults, because it's much more delightful to have children's pictures than just sort of stand up and tell someone, you know, you, you, uh, you know, some sort of boring talk about a topic. Sure. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a fun way to get parents a little more involved other than like, oh, I have to read this book for the 20th time because the first time they read it, like, oh, I'm going to do things different when I'm an entrepreneur. And then the kid's like, well, what does it mean? Like, how do you do things differently? And now you've got the parents thinking like, well, how do you do things differently? And then, you know, the 20th time they're looking through there, they're like, oh, I was actually looking at, you know, space stuff earlier because I've read this astronaut book so many times. I just realized that it's photo like realistic, not in the, the drawing sense, but in the like factoids about the space station, like these are real. And now you get to like, you know, look into those every time you're reading it. Yes. And I, I know, obviously when I was, when I had a child of that age, um, with my son, you'd read the same book over and over again, which can be a little bit boring. Um, and these are real conversation starters. And the other thing is, you know, I think books, I'm a big believer that books are a great way to engage quality time with your kids. So if, if I, you know, I would love that a adult reading one of my books as a child, the majority of what is said isn't even written on the page. Yeah, which exactly, you know, that ability to have conversation starters or talk about different things every time you read it. So with When I'm an Astronaut and one of the ones where she's sort of studying physics and maths, there's two tortoises on the bookshelf. Now, why would you do that? Because tortoises were the first animals that sent safely round the moon and back to Earth to prove that they came back down alive on a spacecraft called Zond 5 by the Russians in the 50s. And so you've got the ability, no matter how old, and children love stories, even they don't understand them fully. You know, they just love that person who's the important person in their life the opportunity to talk to them in stories and you don't need to know because you can just go to my website and look it up and then they'll think you're that some space expert genius. 
genius, I've done all the hard work for you. Um, so it just creates that sort of opportunity to engage and have conversations. Um, and, and it's very exciting in actual fact because um, NASA has just announced that the Artemis spacecraft, which is the one that's going to do the moon missions, possibly at August, the same month as my book launch, um, is it will be the launch date for the um, wet rehearsal without a crew where it will go up around the moon and back, which is actually going to be the longest, um, you know, mission, the furthest and longest time up six weeks without, say, a docking, you know, anywhere space mission ever. So they're doing this first one without people on board and, and that's, you know, it's possibly going to be August the 29th. So I'm sure that they timed it perfectly to make sure that was uh, coincided with my book launch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's been great fun. You know, I've got to study all of this stuff about space. I can tell you as a surgeon, when I chose my career, I never thought that I would get this opportunity. Um, I have no intention of going to space. Um, but I've learned, I've, you know, learned so much about space. Um, I've managed, I've made wonderful connections. So and Andy Thomas is what the a NASA astronaut who did three space shuttle missions and he has done a fantastic testimonial for the book um, we're very proud of him in Australia because he's our only um, astronaut and um, I think opportunities and people and things I never would have learned about if I hadn't gone on this uh, journey so it's, it's been a great opportunity to just discover other things physics was my passion at school but I didn't pursue that because I didn't really have any good role models, which is something I'm uh, very passionate about, um, or vision of what I could do with physics when I was sort of finished. I finished school when I was 16 and, you know, I, I thought, oh, maybe I could be, if I did physics, it was like, well, I could be a school teacher or a university teacher. And that was all I knew. I didn't know any other career options, um, but I knew surgeons. Um, uh, so I chose medicine. Um, but I've managed to revisit my physics passion. Uh, I did my year 12 and 85, which is probably before you were born. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> I'm just going to cry. I have a little moment. Um, and so when I did my year 12, um, I loved physics. So I've managed to revisit uh, what, I, you know, what would have happened if there had been a space industry and a career pathway for um, a girl in Adelaide in 85. And that actually led me on a journey of seeking out after God knows how many years, my physics teacher who is now retired and finding him through a relative on social media and then ringing him only the other day to say, you know, remember me, you, you know, I was a great student really, really well yeah. <laughs> in physics um, uh, in, in, in um, you know, our state when, 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 when I sat the exam and, you know, uh, anyway, it was very, it was a, a great journey to go on. Yeah. And it's one of those that's like, you know, you get to study these things and enjoy these things it goes all the way back to our conversation about like an Olympic athlete. You don't have to be the number one. That's their dream. You can still enjoy the thing that they do that an astronaut does without having to try to be an astronaut. You can just enjoy it and embrace that like, oh, I like these things. This is fun. Oh my God! There are so many space junkies out there. Um, you know, my little my little bit of knowledge uh, is uh, minuscule. It's a hell of a lot more than it was before as a surgeon. But because I'm not in the industry, my knowledge is really small. But there are some big fans out there who follow. You know, every little satellite. You know, image. Uh, there's the people in the industry, but there's lots of you know, as I say, fans out there that are following and have amazing knowledge about everything space and it's an exciting time so you know uh, something I never thought I'd be associated with and I've had to I've got the opportunity to do that similarly you know I'm passionate about business and I even do some business um, you know speaking to business groups and mentoring um, as well and with when I'm an entrepreneur because I was delving into that I got more engaged in the business community and as a result, I've even done some mentoring for some tech startups. Like, and I'm a surgeon, my, my business has nothing to do with tech startups. And it, so it's a great um, opportunity in life to have this, this interaction at, that I never would have had. I am a knowledge junkie. I just love 
studying. I love learning day and night. My ideal holiday would be to stay in my pajamas all day and just like study for 14 hours, you know, whether I'm doing uh, some sort of course online or anything. And so I love learning. And that's what this has done because, you know, there's everything from Canva to social media to God knows what else I've, I've had to learn in my 50s. Um, that 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 the self-publishing sort of journey has has given me that opportunity to learn things I never would have learned. Yeah, and I think that speaks great to the audience of the show because everyone that comes here is just like, well, I guess I know a little bit about this thing, but I could I could stand to learn more. Maybe I'll learn more about you know a specific city or a lifestyle or of job or whatever it is. Like they come to the show and then they find an episode they like and they just start learning. And then they're like, oh, well, what if I learn something else? Like, I can just listen to this, you know, one hour episode and I'll learn some more. And I think that gives people like a great drive to find your passion again. Um, it's part of why I've just like enjoyed this interview. I think this has been great and I've appreciated it immensely. I wanted to give you, you know, time to just talk about where people can find you and the things you do and your books and everything else. Uh, so the best way to find me is my website, which is my name, Samantha Pillay. So S A M A T S A M A N T H A. Can't spell my name. P I W L A Y. Samantha Pillay.com. Uh, with on there, you can find the links to all my social media: LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And I'm just trying to discover TikTok, um, much to my teenagers' disgust and embarrassment. Um, and um, also, if you, um, you know, you can sign up to my newsletter and get information about um, new book launches that are coming out. I write um, a lot of articles, which we didn't even cover, um, relating to health and health topics that are on my website. Um, and there's downloads for, I mentioned the cook um, some meals from the No Recipe Cookbook. There's also, if you've got any little people in your life or you just need some adult colouring and relaxation therapy, you can download some sample colouring in pages, colouring in pages from each of the three activity books um, as well. So, and there'll be, you know, as I think of and to create more things on this creative journey um, that people can find through my website. So that's definitely the best way to find me. The books are for sale on Amazon. There's links on my website, but it's but all online major retailers, Taylor's Booktopia, Barnes and Noble. Um, there's ebook versions and print book versions. So um, that most online retailers will have that as well. Awesome. I think that's about covers it. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I've appreciated it. Thank you. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. Also, if you have not already, please tell someone you know to listen to the show. Word of mouth is the best advertising ever. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com. Or send a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. Also, you could just leave comments on the posts I have. The August official top countries are not in yet, because I'm actually recording this ahead of time, since I am currently in California. That's all I've got for you this week. Enjoy your weekend, and I will see you Monday for the next dream-chasing episode. Bye bye